Hello and welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast. Phil Hawkins, director extraordinaire, um, is pretty confident he can remember the whole intro. I'm regretting I said this out loud now. So, but, um, uh, Phil, yeah. when you're ready, take it away. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast, a podcast where we talk about filmmaking from independent film to studio film and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. You got both varies, very good. I'm Giles Alderson. <laughs> no. I'm not, not Giles Alderson. No. Uh, <laughs> For the first time ever, everyone, our good friend Giles is not here. He Don't is, worry, he's not passed away or anything. <laughs> yeah. It's with uh, deep regret that Giles, Giles um, has let, g- given us the keys to the castle. He's let the nutters in the nut house. <laughs> the nut house. He's away. He's directing. He is. He's directing. Go, Giles. Well, he says he's directing. Is it, have we got proof of this? <laughs> I'm sure it'll be all di- over his Instagram. He's directing Arthur and Merlin, Knights of Camelot. Yes, the colon is important to Giles, he says. (laughs) So yeah, so he's off actually making a movie, which is fantastic. Look, he's not all talk. He's not just on the podcast. He's off making a film. So he's let us uh, roll the roost for a bit. Uh, And today's episode is an amazing one. My name is Robbie McCain. I'm the producer editor of the podcast. So who are you, Phil? Oh, yeah. Hello. Just just presumptuous that people know my voice. Um, I'm Phil Hawkins. I'm a writer-director. I've directed uh, five feature films and uh, hundreds of uh, TV commercials. And at the moment, I am working on a crazy passion project called Star Wars Origins, which is a Indiana Jones Star Wars uh, mashup movie, basically, which has been posted for at the moment. Uh, Teaser trailer in the uh, show notes. But it's not just Phil we got here. We've got someone else. CJ, who are you? Semi-regular. Uh, CJ, hello. Um, uh, I'm Christian James, aka CJ, and I uh, I think our listeners know I direct stuff from time <laughs> to time, every now and then, when I want to, when I can be bothered, when I want to turn cool. up. Yeah. Playing it cool. Generally, I just smoke cigars and stub them out and uh, <laughs> do wheelies on my bike. I'm well cool. Um, I don't do any of that stuff. I can't wheelie a bike. I choke when I smoke cigars. Um, but yeah, so uh, today, can I just try to say, between today we had an amazing guest. I'm sure it's, it'll be out there anyways. We'll have teased this, mm-hmm. but we've got... Uh, David Kep, which is something of a, for, for all of us, a um, we've all grown up, uh, I think for both myself and Phil, and I think Robert, you too, mm-hmm. Kep is someone who is inspirational, because I think for me, Jurassic Park, and for you as well, Phil, it 100%. was like one of the films that made you know us want to make films. So it's kind of a, quite a, uh, this is kind of the reason I got into podcasting, was to meet people like David. Yeah, we've covered you know everything from uh, working on Jurassic Park to his uh, new novel. Um, Cold Storage. Yes, which yeah. is uh, his first foray into novel writing. Um, it's an amazing Cronenberg-y, Andromeda Strain type. Slightly uh, Crichton-esque. Yeah, Crichton-esque, yeah, potentially. He has a lot of fun with it and highly recommend it. So before we get into that, is there any housekeeping we need to do? Uh, I've always wanted to say that in a podcast. Yes, there Ooh. is. So we'll be hearing from Giles a bit. He's going to do a little on-set kind of diary for us. He's going he's gonna to radio in foreign correspondent. That's what he's <laughs> going to do. Um, so we'll be hearing from him in a bit. But uh, first, this episode is sponsored by the good people at ScreenCraft.org. ScreenCraft, as you may know, specialises in screenwriting competitions by genre and format. Given this episode's blockbuster screenwriter guest, it's especially appropriate to mention ScreenCraft's action and adventure screenplay competition. Featuring judges from Paramount, Bad Robot, Skydance, MGM and XYZ. The final deadline for the 2019 ScreenCraft Action Adventure Screenplay Competition is October 31st. Better get mm. on. Learn more and submit your feature screenplay today at ScreenCraft.com. 
www.ghostbusters.org. Yeah, so if you've got any of those ideas that you're not quite finished or, you know, stuff, you've got a deadline now. Mm. Everyone loves a deadline. Get involved. Yeah, makes you actually work towards something, which yes. is good. So we're also sponsored by Raindance Film Festival. The 2019 festival started last week. Get unrivaled access to the UK's largest independent film festival, showcasing the best in shorts, features, documentaries, music videos, web series and VR from around the world by buying a Raindance Festival pass with a 20% discount. Just enter Podcast 20 at the checkout. Awesome. It ends on Sunday the 29th. So you can still go. So first of all, we're going to hear from Giles, who's live on the set. We're going to cut to him now. So Giles, how's it going out there, out in the wilderness? Come in, Giles, come in. Hello, everyone. I know that you're um, waiting for David Kep, but I am with the lovely Andrew Roger. Hello. Hello. We are um, the night before. We are the <laughs> we are the night before. The night. I thought before. it was the name the, of our band name. Like, yeah, the night before. Yeah, we're the night before. We're the night. We're here to play uh, obscure music at you. Are you are you tweeting right now? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, we we here night. Speaking of nights, yes, we're here doing nights of the round hey, table. Oh, that's what you're doing. That's what I was doing. Yeah, Welcome. nightmare. <laughs> oh dear, it's going to get like that. We are um, in our what condo? What is this? It's not a condo, mate. It's, it's a, this is a this is a classic Welsh cottage environment <laughs> <laughs> style living space this is where we're staying for the next month while we film Nights of Camelot yeah, three and, and a half weeks uh, uh, is it three and a half weeks well that's counted really. no, this is going to be brilliant um, we I've been on a recce today another one to look at the locations and I took Richard who's playing King Arthur and it was amazing to see everything and I'm really super excited for tomorrow yeah. because I just am how are you feeling for tomorrow I'm super excited for tomorrow Giles I think you know that um no, it's gonna be good. I mean, counting down the days. Counting down the days. No, it's good. I'm just excited to get shooting because it's one of those things that we're so at the at the command of the elements and, and what light we have in the environment that I just want to see how that's going to look and then embrace that for the rest of the film. But yeah, yeah, because it's it, you know there isn't a huge lighting team, there isn't a massive grip team. We're just going to shoot the reality of what's happening, and it's mm-hmm. that's quite exciting. Very. We're going to be very natural with it because we have to for one yeah. um, budgetary reasons but also because it's going to look cool it's going to really work for the script we're going to yeah. fill it with yeah. smoke we're going to do what we can with the natural light and that's going to look really nice that was always our aim anyway yeah even if we had millions of dollars we'd have done it that way right sure we would sure we would um, I'm feeling like a little kid because when I was you look like a little kid thank you when I was a kid I dreamed one day I'd film in the castle and it sounds sounds slightly wanky but I actually did yeah it's cool and tomorrow morning that dream will become a reality. <laughs> no, I'm get, I, I know I sounded cheesy, but I'm genuinely. No, it's good. Serious. I'm just sorry it had to be with me. I'm just sorry that you know. I, I really might not have not, expected this. I tried not to get you yeah, for this well, one. I'm the only person available, so and here I am. They're affordable, so I think what very what affordable. What I'm trying to say is. Um, I am super excited for tomorrow. Yeah, me too, man. It's been a lot of prep work. It's yeah. been a lot of time getting to this stage. And it's the night before we're shooting the first day, principal photography on the feature film. That's my name. That's what they call me. The night before. Principal photography. <laughs> That's the name of your band. So <laughs> that was a full circle ramble. But um, yeah, pre-production is difficult. It's always a bit tough. Mm-hmm. It's never easy because you're juggling everything. Even today, I was moving locations and moving time, and I found this amazing location, um, which has a waterfall. It's where they shot Batman. So I'm a Batman. Oh, really? You didn't know that, did didn't you? Didn't know that. 
So we've got this beautiful... Which the one? La- Lady of the Lake bit. What do you mean which the one? Like, it makes a difference. One. No. Oh, I thought you meant... The Adam West one. Lake, which one? <laughs> no, it was the um, Christopher Nolan one. Ah, the dark... Materials? Wrong Materials. <laughs> so um, we're in Wales, if you hadn't guessed. It is very rainy here, yeah. but it's going to add to it. Yeah. That's gonna, what It's going to add to my... Production value. Production value, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we are super excited. Thank you for uh, listening to me interrupt your brilliant Oh, episode. we didn't mention David Kett. What? my oh, big news. So what, sorry, Andy, you had some big news. I tried to ignore it this time. <laughs> yes. Uh, so it, uh, in, in seven days, uh, Plebs comes out. Plebs on ITV2 at 10 p.m. on Monday night. The new series of Plebs that I shot that I've made all pretty and stuff. Have a look at it. It's all lit and stuff. You'll love it. You'll love it. You will love it. Plebs is ace anyway. If you haven't heard of Plebs, it's a brilliant UK show, which all shot in Bulgaria, where we shot the dare. Mm-hmm. So Andy had to spend lots of time in there. Back in Bulgaria. Yeah. yeah. You're pretty much Uncle Bulgaria right now. That's my name. Again, we've done two references that all our American listeners, anyone that's not UK based, will get. It's ten past nine. We've yeah. got to go through the shot list for tomorrow. I'm going to talk you through what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Even though we've done that, we're going to do it again. Yeah. Which is super exciting to do because tomorrow's a big day. I like I like this moment. I'm excited. Right I now. hope it lasts forever. I hope we don't get to shoot. <laughs> this moment lasts forever. This moment is quite special right now, though. Looking into each other. It's lasting eyes. too long now. In it's our little condo. Too, like, in, in Wales. It's romantic. I've got a whiskey. Everything's great. What more do you want? So I'm going to keep you abreast with uh, our latest developments next week when you've got Doll and M on the podcast, Emily Mortimer, Dolly Wells. It's going to be a brilliant one. The boys are recording that as well. So I will fill you in with how we're getting on next week. Mm. We'll be well into shooting. I look forward to the, the Andrew Rogers special coming up where I talk about plebs for four hours. Uh... <laughs> I don't know if that's going to happen. I'm I do. sorry to break this to you I now. do. I, I've got the upload codes. It's going to happen. <laughs> Guys, look forward to that one. Um, okay, so without further ado, you lot need to listen to this week's episode with David Kapp. If you're not yeah, already yeah, listening, yeah, I don't know when listening. Robbie's putting this in. Um, it's going to be an amazing episode. So I'm listen so with us to the episode. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Love you all. Bye. Wish us luck. Bye, bye, bye. bye. Wish us so much luck. Wish us luck <laughs> beyond luck. Which is the luckiest luck in the Just world. Just enough. Just enough luck. Right, I don't know when you've cut Robbie, but I'm going to keep saying this. Hi, Robbie. Keep, keep, um, keep on dreaming. Don't stop believing. Hold on to that feeling. feeling. Smashed it. Wow, that was great to hear, Jazz. That was brilliant. That was that really was, That good. was the most inspiring thing I, I've seen. Some true knowledge. Yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. We, we right. miss you, Giles. Now let's get to the main event. This is our interview with screenwriter and now novelist, David Kep. So, David, what was your sort of breaking in for you? Because I think we all listened to your Script Notes podcast recently where you oh. mentioned you were a staff writer for Universal yeah how did you sort of get to that how did you get to there because obviously Death Becomes even before how did you break in I noticed one of your credits you're credited as somebody I think it's a Dark Angel is it you're credited as oh Leonard Moss Jr yes yeah (laughs) that's that's me and John Camps who I write with sometimes Uh, Uh, okay okay. so uh, we we needed a pseudonym I'll I'll tell you why so 
uh, well, I had start, I went to film school at UCLA, and I had um, I, I was working uh, for a film distributor's rep or and a producer's rep. I was one guy. I worked in his kitchen, and basically, if a mo- if somebody made a movie and was looking for a U.S. distribution, we'd try and sell it for them. If somebody, uh, uh, conversely, if some foreign video distributors wanted to license U.S. films, we'd license them for them, and they were. You know, not good films. They were like C level straight to video. Yeah. I mean the term straight to video didn't even exist, but they were they were, you know, like Slumber House Massacre Three. <laughs> Sorority House Massacre Amazing. Three. Sorry, how can I blow the title of <laughs> yeah. It's okay, early It's actually a rather memorable film. Um, to some great art right there. <laughs> yeah. It was not a great uh uh, job, but it was a job in the movie business, and I yeah. think I made 150 bucks a week, which was useful. Didn't you know cover my rent? But thanks, Dad. Uh, <laughs> but um, so I was working there, and I met a guy named Martin Donovan, um, not the actor, but the Argentine uh, writer director. And he had an idea for a movie that he wanted to make, which he was looking for, you know, someone to partner with, particularly a young American, because he was, you know, not comfortable with writing American characters. So we wrote this movie, Apartment Zero, uh, and then with the help of the guy I was working for and by hooking by crook and by borrowing money and maxing out credit cards and doing all the sorts of things mm-hmm. I would never do now, um, yeah. we made it. And so Apartment Zero was my first movie. Um, but we started it without any without having enough money to finish. Yeah, which and, is often the way. Yeah, and we sort of, we convinced... Uh, Colin Firth to be in it, who was just just rising at the time, um, and uh, a couple other you know a couple other actors, Hart Bachner, and so we went out and banked the vi- we sold the video rights, banked the contract, uh, and started shooting, but didn't have any money. So we got to post, and when we got to post, the money started running out. Happily, I had just sold my first um, screenplay on my own, which is called uh, Bad Influence. So I took the money I got from that and paid off the mix on Apartment Zero. And, and you know, through convoluted means, um, somebody at Universal had read Bad Influence and liked it, wanted to turn it into a comedy, but I wanted to make a thriller. And I think he liked that I'd said no to him. So Casey Silver uh, hired me to work at Universal as a as a contract writer, which they still did back in those mm. days. Do you have an agent at that time? How was your? I did. I got an yeah. agent around the time of Bad Influence. Okay. Um, so is the, that a fairly easy thing in of itself to no, get an agent, or is it? It wasn't. Um, <laughs> I sent it to three different places. Two said no, and uh, one who was a guy my age, at, I was 24, 25 at the time, who was working in you know like a broom closet at ICM, a guy named Gavin Pallone, um, who I've now been friends with for 30 years and he produces movies and we've made a bunch of movies together um he um he liked it so you know we, it was nice because we were both at sort of the same point in our career i.e nowhere <laughs> um and uh and and managed to come up together so when you're um sort of staff at universal that time is it um is it a case of there's a pool of writers and they try and assign you to projects they've got on their slate at the time or yeah a little of both Mm. um now here's where the story becomes um it makes me somewhat not likable so okay so my job was to come in and pitch them ideas and they'd say not that not that oh that one's good why don't you write that 
So I did some of that. I also sold them another script that Martin and I had written called Death Becomes Her. Mm -hmm. So then when Death Becomes Her was getting made, um, then it caught the notice of uh, Steven Spielberg, who read it and, and met with me. At that point, Martin and I Mar were not writing together anymore. Um, so and, and Casey at Universal said, why don't you have a look at this guy for your Jurassic Park script? Because, it, you know, they they'd tried a few different scripts and it wasn't working mm -hmm. out. So um, so the one the way it worked was I could pitch ideas to Universal and they'd say yes or no. And they could pitch stuff to me and uh, I could say yes or no. And so the one they pitched, the one I pitched to them, I pitched a few to them. The one they pitched to me was Jurassic Park. What kind of moron doesn't say? Mm, yeah, sure, true. I'll do that. So one. he's involved yeah. in that. <laughs> <laughs> is Michael yeah. Crichton guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't have anything higher profile. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. um, not, not to. Uh, um, and I, for the record, I am wearing my Jurassic Park T-shirt. So before we get into that no, whole for thing, the, for the for for the record, you're you're wearing a tuxedo. But, but <laughs> yeah. I believe you that underneath, <laughs> underneath is the Jurassic Park T-shirt. Um, uh, Death that comes her. So you know that's a film that just wouldn't get made now at all maybe netflix or something might take a yeah. punt on it but but back then was that the same deal were they like this is this strange dark <laughs> comedy albeit that attracted some amazing stars to the that role. was it, it, martin and i assumed it would be five or six million dollars and it would be a strange you, you know like dark, a sister's type independent thing. Yeah. comedy yeah, yeah. Mm. um we really wanted it to be funny so it was a black comedy and black comedy was Black comedy's never been an easy sell um, with audiences or therefore studios um, because you know it's dark and it, it's 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 not scary and it's also not fully funny because you know usually dark unpleasant things are happening so <clears throat> it was kind of tricky but Universal thought it was weird and fun and in the early nineties major studios were very different than they are today and that no no big surprise there mm -hmm. and they though they were starting to be parts of multinational conglomerates they weren't yet fully taken over by the mbas and they were still full of quirk and personality universal then was run by a guy named lou wasserman you know mm -hmm. who was you know the yeah. sort of legendary yeah, figure used to be an agent then became a studio owner um and Sid Sheinberg, who mm -hmm. had a lot of personality, most of it scary, at least to me. <laughs> um, and they they were game to go with unusual people's visions. Mm -hmm. You know, they, around the same time they made Do the Right Thing. You know, the Spike Lee's movie, and yeah. so they were they were making stuff that was a little. Um, Tom Pollock then started running, was the chairman, and, and they were making stuff that was interesting and unusual. They were making stuff that was right down the middle also. I mean, they were, you know, in the business selling tickets, but they were making 25 to 30 movies a year, mm -hmm. which major studios just don't do right yes. now. Plus, you had that, I suppose. You also did have that sort of 10, 50 million budget tid movie. Yeah. You don't have that now, but yeah, yeah. there was the much discussed mid range yeah. was yes. still yeah. there. Yeah. Um, so we. We thought, well, Universal make it. It might be a smaller thing. I remember I I knew Steven Soderbergh from uh, Sundance, and Sex Lies was the was at Sundance the same year Apartment Zero was, and so oh, I was well, yeah. I was trying to get him to do it, and uh, you know because I thought this will be a small yeah. yeah small strange movie, and I'm and then Bob Zemeckis read it and said no, I'll do it. Mm. How, did and, he, how did he even get to re do you know how he they gave him like everything they had because right, he okay. just made the Back to the Future yeah. movies yeah. for them and, and was looking for something to do next and and 
they just I think they just sent over like 20 scripts. Yeah. And um, I remember one of them was Babe, you know, the Babe oh, really? Ruth yeah, story. Yeah. And, and not the, oh, not the one that was Babe. Babe. Yeah, no, no, okay. it, it, the Babe. Yeah, which okay. Which was yeah, yeah. before that. It was about Babe Ruth. And he said, come on, you guys. I'm not doing the Babe Ruth movie. <laughs> Great Zemeckis impression. <laughs> yeah, just, just, just forget it. <laughs> um, so uh, they... Uh, it, it, they so they sent over a whole bunch of stuff, probably hoping he would do some great big adventure fun thing. And he said, "I like the one about the guy that shoves his wife down the stairs and she did, <laughs> and she dies, but she's still alive." And they were like, "Oh, oh, wow. all right." And I, guess, so, I guess we are you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they, but you know, to their credit, they followed him down this weird road, Ooh. and uh, and it became bigger than than we anticipated. Um, in terms of its scope and certainly its casting. Um, but, you know, who wouldn't like it? Definitely. It was uh, delightful. You mentioned um, Scary Sid Scheinberg and and um, there's this sort of romantic vision that a writer sits lonely in their, their typewriter, keyboard, whatever. But a part of your job must be, or a big part, must be pitching. So you have to go into a room full of people, presumably. How have you, how have you honed those skills? That must be a scary... That's- I'm pretty bad at it, mm. I, and I've never. It can't be that bad. You're, you've got a few films under your belt. You it's be. true. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I get through it. It's it's not my it's not my thing. I tend to prefer to write something and say, "Here, read this," and then I'll come in and yeah. talk about it. I mean, is there is that a part um, of the job where you have to go into a room full of people and say, "Right, here's the movie, yes. dance and act it out"? Or yes, and I don't I don't like doing that. So in in my in my in my later years in my dotage, I've uh, <laughs> I, I I don't I don't go and just cold and pitch. I'll mm. I'll write maybe a ten page summary of it. Yeah. Or ideally, if it's an original, I'll just write the script. To here, read this, and then let's talk about it. Because going in and saying, okay, well, uh, there's this guy. Um, so, oh, wait, before that, <laughs> yes. I forgot. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Okay, so he's born. And, you know, I'm <laughs> yeah. just, it's not, it doesn't it's hard come for anybody. Out for it I mean, yeah. it's like, you always have to be like stand-up comedian and also yeah. the most amazing yeah. narrator and Alfred Hitchcock. And yeah. they don't, <laughs> the skills don't often line up. The, yeah. the person who can pitch a story well is not often the mm. person who can write a story well. Mm. So you can have great pitch, lousy script. Mm. I, I tend to hope I'm lousy pitch, great script. Hey, so I had to pitch. A, it's like in this country, you have uh, lawyers and barristers are two different people. And there's the mm. person who presents it and this person that does all the kind of yes, the legal exactly, work behind the scenes. One of them needs a little showmanship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other one needs the, 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 graph, the scholarship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, I had to pitch, speaking of Sid Scheinberg, I never had to, the only time I ever had to pitch him something was on Death Becomes Her, because he didn't really get involved at that level. He was much higher up in the company. But we were, we'd, we'd tested the movie and it did poorly. Because, you know, dark movie, it was gonna, it was gonna test badly. Mm. Uh, but it also had a, a, an ending that didn't work. We reshot the ending. So we were, but we were, before doing this reshoot of, 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 the, of a new ending, we were testing it one more time to just confirm everything we felt from the last test. And on the way down, you know, before you go spend another couple million dollars shooting, you want to make sure you're doing the right thing. On the way down to that test, somebody called, you know, probably on some big, giant, bulky old car phone where you have to pull out the, the, <laughs> you know, the antenna and, you know, and said, uh, Sid Scheinberg's coming down to your test screening. And we're like, shit. And this one? This is the one to confirm that it doesn't work. Why would he come to this? And they're like, doesn't matter. Sid and Lorraine are on their way down. Um, so <clears throat> we go in. Sure enough, you know, it doesn't test well. And everybody's standing in a hallway afterwards. 
and uh, in the you know like by the popcorn talking about the thing and it's tense everybody's you know tense and um, Zemeckis is talking to Sid and he's telling him what we think works and what doesn't and what we want to do and he says well David's right here David tell him the, tell him the new ending oh man so gonna... and I said okay um, well so and I start telling the ending and but I'm telling it I'm I, by way of telling it I start telling what we originally intended which is not a great way to start <laughs> right and he's just looking at me and he's starting to furrow his eyebrows and it's turning really into a scowl. And I, can, I start to sweat. You know, I can feel just I'm really uncomfortable. And, and he's just just glowering at me. And I, and, and I get halfway through and he interrupts me and says, you, sir, are not satisfying your audience. <laughs> and, oh, you know, I'm like 28 years old and I can't think for the life of me of what to say. Well, surely there's no. So you I can't say go, I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and I feel just Bob's hand on my collar, and he just pulls me out. He's like, the showman's back. The you're trap. Out, you're out. I'll do it. Yeah. I'll do yeah. it. Trap door in, opens beneath you. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna be great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you say part of the part of, of the of the sort of broad, um, diverse amount of filmmakers you've worked with as well as yourself. Would you say a part of it is being able to be that showman? or show person to some degree you know be you've got to be able to tell a story but then also be able to present the story as well is that a key part yeah of i mean less so for a writer because you can just do it mm. you can say uh, you know I, I was working on something recently and i i had an idea for an opening and i didn't want to tell it because i didn't think i'd do it so i just wrote it and gave it to the director and he said oh yeah that's great um you know i don't think i would have pulled that off telling it yeah so as a writer paper's cheap so it's easy to you know it's easy to do it a director you must be able to show it i mean do it yeah perform it mm. you know make them see that you see it and how how spectacular it is and the movies i've directed have tended to be smaller where there's less pressure to you know really perform in that way but every one of them you have to they but you know it's millions of dollars even when it's a small movie mm. I think smallest yeah. budget i ever worked with was five and that's still an enormous yeah, amount yeah. of money so um so yeah you got to be able to tell it but also contain like a small story or contained story doesn't necessarily mean small budget so like with panic room and stuff you know that was yeah that, that's mm. probably quite a good example of like the concept you wrote is this kind of like almost 40s b movie like you know um, sorry wrong number yeah, type kind of much. film um and then you, but it's but it's writ large on this ama in this amazing kind of David Fincher canvas where there's you know flowing technocranes and you know uses of CGI for the first time to build this house and yeah so yeah that was first of all I'm uh, sorry wrong number is exactly what I was thinking of when I was working on it because it contains my favorite Barbara Stanwyck line ever she says she's on the phone she's trapped in the house and you know she's paralyzed from the waist down and she's calling the operator because somebody's in the house. And she says, can you hear me? Operator. Operator, I'm a hopeless invalid. <laughs> <laughs> Try getting away with that these days. I love wow. describing herself as hopeless. Wow, yes. <laughs> but yeah, the budget got big. It was, mm. that again was written to be a contained, mm. manageable thriller. But, you know, Fincher has large appetites and a big vision. Uh, he still made it for somewhere in the low 40s. Yeah, he did. So yeah. it wasn't, you know, like some. But it's all there. That's yeah. the thing. Mm. Yeah. But you can imagine, you know, someone else 
make in a you know, parallel universe making like a two million dollar version of it you, you know in yes. terms of yeah. the scope of what was there you mm. could make the really low budget version of it. it's really interesting to see what happens when a like a director like fincher comes on and and you know and inflates everything to that sort of cinematic scale yeah um we, we were talking earlier about um different sort of a lot of movies now they're said to be sort of set piece driven mm. um uh, and a lot of the stuff you've worked on obviously things like uh, Mission Impossible comes to mind. Uh, how do you balance that kind of set piece with the character if you know you have to deliver a certain amount of, of set pieces? Well, it helps. I mean, you got to create a character <clears throat> who's going to find himself in those kinds of situations, you know. So uh, if, you know, so in Mission Impossible, it, he's big international spy. So it's, it's, it's pretty easy to figure out that he's going to be in these perilous situations. Um, I think that big action pieces or suspense pieces or effects pieces need to work. You know, they're like the songs in a musical and they need to, they need to, um, they need to complement and advance the story. So, and the best, the best time, the best moments of writing you have are when you find some great character reveal within that piece. Um, cause it, it, it it's, it's, it's a, I mean, then you're doing everything at once. Do you have any personal faves of yours in that? In that, you, like personally, do you have any from your f filmography? Is there anything specifically you're quite proud of? Um, well, the the yes, sure. It'll sound self-serving because no, but I've asked you the question. It, you have, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I mean, but there, but there's so much the director. You know, I I do feel I'm gonna I'm gonna name some, but I do feel that. When I, I hate when I'm reading a screenplay and, and a writer says, and a massive chase ensues. Mm. It's just an absolute dereliction of duty. You know, sure. It's your job to write the massive chase. Even if you know they're going to completely redo it, new locations will be found. You'll write that chase 16 times before it's done. But your first responsibility is to, is to present it on a page in a way that feels like somebody's watching a movie. And mm. we'll give the director a bunch of ideas. Um, sometimes they end up doing something that hews quite closely to what you wrote. Other times it's a whole different thing. I mean, the ones that I'm proud of, I guess I'm proud of the director for it, and I'm happy that I had a role in it. Uh, you know, the the T-Rex the attack on the road in the middle of Jurassic Park, that was largely storyboarded when I arrived, so very little credit can come to me. I did come up with that, what they say. Ah! You know, Brilliant. Uh, yeah, thank you. I, I, no. That particular when line. When you gotta go, you gotta go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, come on. It's um, classic. So, so uh, you know, in 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 making sure it occurred at the right moment in the storytelling, yeah. and making you know, like there was there was there was a lot of writing to be done. But um, the the CIA break in in the middle of Mission Impossible is is beautiful. But what what was fun about that was Brian and I worked it out in in some detail, and then I went and wrote it. And, but it was, it was fun. You know, we, we, we did a bunch of research. We had a lot of CIA advisors and we talked to them about, you know, like, so what would your actual security protocols be? You know, and they told us they, and they said, and they said, well, there would be, you know, we have cameras covering uh, the sensitive areas and there's a room where we have video screens and we have guards watching the screens. <laughs> <laughs> they're, like, they're explaining to you like you were five yeah, yeah. Yeah. like that's the dullest thing I've ever heard and then, so we're like well so I guess we splice in the video of the empty hallway and, the, and we were both just like fell asleep you know then we said 
fuck all the research. Let's just make it up. It's, it's it's this huge room, and he lowers from the ceiling, and the the the, the floor lights up like that Michael Jackson video. And like, you know, there's this temperature sensor, and there's a dead rat, and the water's dripping. You know, his sweat is dripping. Yeah. And so we just made a bunch of stuff up, mm. which uh, I think was way better way than fun. reality. Yeah. 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 Uh, in my own stuff, I um, the stuff I've directed, I I think some of the chases, the bike chases in Premium Rush. Yes, um, yeah, are yeah. are quite good. Yeah, because the 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 camera work and stunt riders are yeah. incredible, the, and there the there's no involved. there's yeah. not Amazing. one CG shot in. Actually, there's one. It's a close up of pedals uh, with the city in the background. Mm. And, you know, but other other than that shot, every single thing in it is something that someone really did and often got hurt doing. And um, the the ability to put to get our cameras through traffic whether on motorcycles or you know <clears throat> weird little mounts or you know it, w with a you know a russian arm like a the you know the cr mm -hmm. camera crane car the porsche that zips all around I and mean, that that stuff was really hard and it was in the middle of manhattan traffic with live actors and uh, and i think it's good i think it's good and exciting so i'm how, proud of that how do you with something like say carlitos way back with the palmer again something like the uh train sequence where pacino's being chased and that's so the specific yeah and it's yeah. all it's a yeah that that huge one take and there's a one, one obviously in that war of the world yeah. for example yeah that you know yeah are these things that are inspired by you said you you put things in there to inspire the directors as you're writing yeah. this stuff that you would they're, write or? they're all collaborations with the director um you would in that case i had written the script first and i had a chase that was much more rudimentary um and Brian said, let's work on that chase. And then you start throwing ideas out. I mean, we know in all, all chases uh, or suspense scenes or action scenes have to start with an objective. And in this case, <clears throat> characters at, you know, 125th Street, he needs to get down to Grand Central to get on the train. Um, that's great. So very direct. He's got to go from A to B. And he's got a number of different people chasing him. Mm -hmm. One of the big breakthroughs in the script was was increasing the amount of pressure on him in the end so that it was sort of triangulated so that mm. he's not just being pursued by uh, one group, but two. Mm. Um, and then you get nice, sweet twist at and, the end. And, and, of course, Benny Blanco from mm -hmm. the Bronx. Mm -hmm. um, so and then and then you 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 the, the chase comes bit by bit as definitely any action piece is, is is influenced by location. You gotta go find a location you love because then that gives you a whole bunch of ideas. So I would go on location scouts with them and you know see what they were looking at and that continues to give you more ideas. I think initially we were also gonna shoot it, uh, I think there was a, on the big escalators at the World Trade Center, but that didn't work out. Grand Central was much more beautiful. I yeah, think. it's an amazing location. So there's actually a feedback process whilst that happens. You're not just writing you know, an, an imagined location in your head and putting that out. Yeah, you're, you're actually, um, the location scouting is kind of happening whilst the script is still developing at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Well, before, if I'm on it before a director, I'll go look at some, I'll go look at things myself. You do it yourself. Because nothing gives you ideas like going to places. Yeah. You know, you can, you, can make, if it, you can make it up in your head. If it's a story of your parents' divorce, you probably don't need to go, you know, look at places. But if it's, if it's you know, if it's fiction, if it's, fun and exciting it helps to go and look at it you know so 
It's a great big cemetery I went and looked at the other day for something I'm working on, which of mm. course then gives you specifics. And you can, those specifics are very hard to think of um, on your own. You can make them up, but since, you know, the, of what a crypt might actually look like and yeah. what mausoleum is it and who is it and what's carved on top of it, then, then ooh, that carving could become a clue to blah, blah, blah. You know, that, that stuff can, can, um, is all influenced by going and seeing things in reality. And on the, on the sort of flip side of that, then, something like, I'm breaking the seal on Jurassic Park. Um, <laughs> you know, you write that in a way that it's, you know, back in the time you read a novel, uh, you think, how the hell are we going to make this? You know, because you're, you know, infancy of CGI and things, and you've got some, like, the T-Rex, you know, panic scene. Did you write these thinking, like, I don't know how Spielberg is going to make these, but that's not my job? Or did you find yourself sort of holding back a little bit because you didn't know what was possible? I asked him early on, because it was 1992 yeah. when we were working on it, and I said, what are the... I mean, I you know, the assumption was... This was going to be puppets, robots, and something like stop motion. Yeah. I mean, we knew, no, no, it's going to be computer stuff. But nobody would seen computer stuff. Mm. The only you get Terminator, Terminator 2 yeah. come out. Uh, but it was, you know, it was a very different look. Nobody would seen, and it was fantasy. We are trying to make something that was real animals, yeah. Yeah. that we all have specific ideas about how they should look. Um, and so you didn't know that it was going to work. So I asked, you know, what... What are my what are the limits? What should I not do? And he said, um, you know, you're only limited by your imagination. I said, well, that's a it's a pretty severe limitation, as it turns out. But I'll, <laughs> I'll see what I can come up with. Um, so I wrote, and there I remember writing one thing in particular uh, when when they're running from the Gallimimuses are running from the uh, you know from something or other, and then the T Rex bursts out of the trees ahead of them. I, I wanted it. I wanted to see it whole, you know. So I had. They were behind a log, and I wrote, "The T Rex chases it down and makes the kill in a cloud of dust and blood." Mm. And I thought, I have no idea <laughs> how anyone would ever do that because it would mean it, a full body T Rex is running across the screen. Yeah. No puppet. No robot. No wires. That's got to actually, you know. And and there was just no guarantee that would work. Um, so the first time you sort of seen that finished scene then, I mean, can you yeah, remember? It was astonishing. I mean, yeah. I remember seeing stuff before that because the first really breakthrough <laughs> moment was a, um, there was a, ILM had done a test of a, of a velociraptor running in place and with no, no skin or musculature, just a skeleton. And we were looking at it in the ambulance screening room and everybody went, ooh, because it looked real. It was a skeleton, but it looked, you know, it, it was like nothing you'd seen before. And you thought, oh, yeah, that, that, that's going to work. That's going to yeah. be really cool. Because, you know, I was what probably Tim's age when I saw that on the big screen for the first time. I was absolutely petrified, but also fascinated. And that's what made me become a filmmaker was was dissecting that film like how do yeah. they do it Ooh, what, yeah. is, what is a puppet what is cgi what is this thing and that's yeah so it's all your fault this is all your fault <laughs> yeah. that's Spielberg, obviously yeah, yeah. It, was, yeah it, it was it was a i'm i love how it's um, embraced to this day um it was it was a big it was a sea change in in movies mm. and it's amazing how many of them mr spielberg was behind mm. um how many sea changes 
But what's also amazing is how little the actual dinosaurs are in it. You know, you man- you remember all oh, those yeah, scenes yeah. and you actually count the minutes and it's not very much, you know. So it's actually that we're talking about set piece versus character, you know. It's the characters that are driving the thing forward. It's the jeopardy that they're in. And then you get these spectacle of set pieces. Whereas these days, you know, there's a lot of blockbusters that are all, you know, how to get from one big action sequence to the next big action sequence. Well, that's the, the, you know, hell is too many choices, too many options. And that's the problem is now you can do it. Uh, and so you're, you not it's not just that audiences expect you to do it more frequently, but um, have the great big, you know, CGI uh, set piece. It's not really the audience. It's that it's you fall back on it, yeah. you know, because it's. It is easier than developing character. Those those sequences are really hard. They need a good idea. They need a lot of good ideas. They need brilliant execution. They need a number of creative and technical people working at the peak of their craft in order for them to work. However, it's still harder to write a really good dialogue scene between mm. two people you okay. care about. Going into the sequel, <clears throat> what was there a seismic difference in the way you approached obviously going to Lost World? First one you brought in quite late in the day. I think it's quite late in the day, or fairly late was it into the first one. But then the second one, was there any consideration you might not do it? Or did you consider, you know, I've done it already, I might not do it? Or what, you know? I think I had one conversation with Stephen where he said, let's do another one of those. Mm. He said, I'm going to go do this Schindler's List. Uh, or maybe it was right after he got back from doing Schindler's List. And it was, um, I, I think, obviously, that movie was so you know profoundly affecting for him and for those who saw it and did so well and and you know won all the awards and i think he felt like i'd like to go have some fun again Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that um and i he said let's do another one and i said no we don't want to do another one let's do something else and he said yeah we do (laughs) (laughs) and And that was that all right fine you're right could you imagine today not you know i mean now you know the biggest film of all time there there would never be any question about doing a sequel right it's amazing isn't it the Mm. the back then you could i don't well i think he'd done one before because the the indiana jones movies weren't sequels those are those are serial serial adventures this was a true sequel Jaws 2 he didn't do. Yeah. I mean, he produced but didn't direct. So I think it was the first time he was directing a straight sequel. Yeah. And for you, for you I'm what, wrong. What, first time I'd done one as well. They're hard. Yeah. <clears throat> well, because the expectation. Yeah, know. the big expectations. Also, everybody, yeah, everybody has their ideas about what it ought to be. Yeah. Um, and but, as Phil was saying, you've already let the cat out of the bag. That you, You've shown. That's the thing. You can't hide them this time. Yeah. Um, people have seen them, so you got to have new ones. they got to be cool. Um, and... But also you've used, or I, you know, it's, the well's not that deep with me. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, got, I got some ideas, but it doesn't go on forever. Um, I think I have a I wide... I think your filmography vo- would beg to differ. Well, I have a <laughs> wide variety of ideas. I don't have yeah, sure. a deep well of ideas on the same subject. Yeah. So I feel like I... That's why I, I haven't tried to do TV, because it just feels like... I can't specialist Dude, knowledge is sixty kind of, episodes yes. or something. Mm. Jesus, who yeah. cares? Like yeah. I would lose interest after one or two. Um, I like watching them, but I, I don't think I'd be good at doing them. But the um, so going back, you know, you've used your best ideas the first time, um, and certainly there's some things you know that you're like, oh, we always want to do this, and yeah. and then you have to come up with another approach. But um, there, I, I found, I found, you know sequel writing really difficult mm-hmm. I, I found it so much harder than the original one um initially we thought we had some ideas of 
a movie we we would just do and then um Crichton said no I'm writing a book so then you wrote a book right I see waited yeah. for the book uh, I get oh, you. Okay. and then read the book and thought really good book really tough to adapt that yeah. to this so we departed significantly which everyone appreciated and loved mm-hmm. and then of course you've got the what, what are the what's the um, <laughs> I enjoyed Lost World no I, I me too I, I, no complaints I like it what um it's good fun you've got the pressure of trying to because uh, I think it was a third act complete restructure is that right was it a massive change third act originally uh, the island then not on the island or is that it was just an addition oh, okay. they, they, so it, it ended uh, on the okay. island but about eight weeks before shooting uh, Stephen said I feel like we need we gotta we gotta give them a little more for yeah. their and the for their whatever the quaint ticket price in 1996 yeah. <laughs> was um, and uh, so we we wanted to do uh, you know and was your King pitch Kong. okay Stephen got this idea about a guy that goes in to buy a movie <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know who can play him he's got a whole backstory it is I, yeah. well I wrote the thing and I said there's a role in here I'd like to play yes. Yes. and he said really yeah i said yeah 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 I, I, you'll you'll know it when you see it i don't have to say anything i just have to scream did you uh, did you ADR that as well i did i got, I got yeah. to put in gurgles yeah. and, <laughs> that was the only time i've it's acted in fun. a film and i i uh I, I loved it well no i didn't i hated it it was here's why so <laughs> I, you know when you're the writer you go to the set it's fun you stay an hour you eat some food you see if a movie star is around and then you go home <laughs> you know um, when you direct, you know, you work hideous long days and it's terrible. Uh, but, w- uh, so I showed up to act in this little part and I thought, I'll just kind of walk on and do my thing and go home. And it's going to be great fun. But it was a night shoot. Just mm. depressing. Yeah. <laughs> I got yeah. there. My, I had a little cubby hole in a trailer. That's okay. I, I don't mind. You I'm didn't not kick here off for the that. comfort. Yeah. You and went, then you I went put slumming on, it with Goldblum then. <laughs> no, he wasn't even working that night. Yeah. And then I put on the wardrobe they had for me, and I didn't like it. And I came out, and I said, Stephen, can I talk to you? <laughs> no. He's like, oh, no, you're oh, one of them. Yeah. Yeah. He said, yes. Yeah. I said, okay, I don't like this. I would never wear this. I think it makes me look fat, and I can't run in these shoes. And he went, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> David just headbutted the mic. Everyone. You too. Um, so he said, wear whatever you want. Just wear whatever you want. So just please. So I went back and then they didn't even get to me the first night. I had to come back the next night. I think he was punishing me now that I talked. Yeah. So I come back and I was like four in the morning and I was really tired and I had to do it 14 times and my elbow hurt because uh, I keep running into the door. Anyway, acting's tough. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> I never um, did it again. So as a, as a writer that's worked with so many different directors and so many different directors that have very different personalities and approach yeah. to kind of filmmaking. I'll say. How, yeah, yeah, sort of from Fincher to Spielberg. I don't know what spectrum that exists on, but let's well, say yeah, there so is a spectrum. If you said De Palma, Raimi, Spielberg, Fincher. Uh, Ron Howard. Ron Howard. Zemeckis. Yeah, that's what we're saying. So, I mean, as a writer then, you know, when you're in that early, you know, inception of you just spitballing ideas and talking in a room, you know, about how you adapt something or how do you how do you retain your voice to say as a writer? How do you retain, you know, um, how do you uh, yeah, how do you make it work as a writer with, you know, so many different personalities to truly keep your voice as a writer? You direct Um, because it the director necessarily has to interpret your script 
you know, a bad director just records your script, but they have to interpret it and they have to see it and it has to be theirs. And I, I used to think that was a bad thing. If I would have an idea and I'd tell it to a director and he'd go, ah, no, that's no good. And then three days later, call up and pitch me back my idea as his. <laughs> I used to get upset. Mm. And then I directed myself and I realized that's absolutely a necessary part of the process. The director has to own it because it's so arduous to get it up there. And it has to come like right out of their head. If mm. they thought they were just shooting somebody else's pages, it would be it it would be depressing and and they and dispiriting and dispirited would be the result. Um, so they they get they gotta they gotta make it theirs. Mm -hmm. And I, I think a film will always show the personality of the director far more than it shows mm -hmm. the personality of the writer. You can you can get like subject matter can be of your thematic you know um, up your thematic alley. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> I think Panic Room shares a lot of, you know, um, both formal and um, subtextual stuff with a lot of other things that I'm interested in mm -hmm. that I wrote. But it's unquestionably David Fincher's movie, like way more than mine, um, because that's just that's just how it is. That's mm -hmm. the nature of the medium. Mm -hmm. So you try to you try to, of course, write true to yourself and you can't help but write true to yourself. But you also can't help but get in the mind of the director and write to suit them a little bit to add to phil's story very, just right. to add to a question very quickly could i um how do you juggle because uh, they're very different personalities you strike me as a very laid-back easygoing kind of person but how would you how do you juggle those different character types what should, do, you, do you find you you'll have to wear different hats as a as a um, type or you know like fundamentally if you think you know a scene needs to go one way and the director's like no I, I can't feel it you know it needs yeah. to go another way you, one must be collaborative <laughs> or one please must... give us your secrets yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well you said I strike you as laid back and I'm glad and I I, I try to be hmm. my <clears throat> sorry my friend and longtime producer Gavin Pallone compares me to uh, you know in Holy Grail when they go to the cave, <laughs> of course, and and they say, this thing's going to be horrible. And they see it and it's a little bunny and they say, oh, it's a rabbit. It's just a little rabbit. And then they walk down to the, you know, to the rabbit and the thing leaps out and rips their neck up. Jesus Gavin said, Christ. That's you. You create this illusion. Yeah, I'm just a guy from Wisconsin. You can tell, yeah. you can tell me anything and I'm going to handle it in a totally reasonable manner. And you do for a long time. And then all of a sudden... The cliff edge comes <laughs> and the rabbit is unleashed. <laughs> and around that time, I usually quit or get fired. Right. So you argue for you can argue a long time, but it's very hard to persuade a director of something that they don't truly believe. And I don't think you should um, because they won't they won't they won't do a good job. You know, um, the so if it comes down to you or them, it's always going to be them. And you should just get out before you get heart disease. Get you, you know. I, I say that because you know we've got a lot of screenwriters, aspiring screenwriters that listen to the podcast, and and I feel like personalities, especially when you can be obsessed with your script and your thing, and I think um, uh, you know screenwriters can get very precious about changes, and you know when a director comes on board, and I find that with more experience, yeah, you know, like someone like yourself, is you, 
you know, um, is uh, more kind of amenable to a director's vision because of the reasons why you've said versus, mm. you know, more newer screenwriters that are very protective over material. Well, the, they really should direct because that that's the only way to get it yeah. the way you want it. Even if you prevail in the, in the, you know, in these lengthy conversations where you convince them of something else, it still won't turn out the way you saw it, the way you thought, because it has to be filtered through the director's mind and yes. she may see it completely differently while literally respecting every single word on the page mm -hmm. um so it's a it's a yeah it's it it's a half it's a half an art form yes. and and you got to be okay with that you know it, which is difficult mm -hmm. which is why i have directed half a dozen times because even though i hate the work it, it it it's at least completest you mm -hmm. know it's well i see what the flaws were um but they were my flaws and it came out the mostly the way i meant so you say so. you hate it is that <clears throat> you do you not like the directing process but it's more about as you say the purity of you know what you started to write yeah um, it's it's an awful process it, it's I mean, for me i'm just not suited well spielberg says he didn't like the shooting on set he oh post. he does too <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I i've never seen anyone you. more at home on a set than he is <laughs> he's so happy and comfortable on a set i mean yeah. sure he's uncomfortable you know it's raining and it's you know yes yeah. it's cold <laughs> yeah. any, any jobs yeah, you know, pain yeah. some days. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. but no, he's well. Well, it's an interesting difference too because he's also a, just a natural visualist. So I think there are some things that come very easily and quickly to him, and they don't to me. Like it's a <clears throat> sorry for me to figure out how to shoot a guy getting in his car and driving away is really complicated. Like, <laughs> yeah, it yeah. just seems like, wow, that's a lot of moving parts. <laughs> it goes back to options, having all the options in the world, I suppose, yeah. isn't it? If you've got too many options, then it's yeah, like, yeah, where do yeah. you start? Um, but also, it's just for me, the, the, the lifestyle of directing is just, mm. I, I really like sitting in a room typing, making up stories. That's my favorite thing. Or making up a story with someone else. My friend John Camps and I always have a lot, ton of laughs working together, and it's really fun. Directing involves so many exigencies. You know, it's it's primarily other people who, you know, as you know, other people can be very difficult. <laughs> um, not me, mind you, but no, others. Um, and, you know, the real world. I mean, it, it, there's the weather and, there, you know, the, the the train that keeps going by and the passersby mm -hmm. that keep looking in the camera. And, you know, like just, there's, there's uh, tons of stuff that can mess with you. And there's budgets and studios and endless meetings and you know it it's and the hours are bad and you know it I, I find it I find it really um, debilitating work so why don't I stop you might ask <laughs> oh yes maybe doing it again next year yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I finished that one I'm just, I'm, I just we mix finished. we mix in a month or so so that mm. that one's all all done. Um, I don't know. Is it the self-torture? Yeah, it's also it. between each. There's quite big gaps between you directing. Is it like you sort of forget the pain, like childbirth? As I, I believe saying, it is that. Yeah, you forget <laughs> the pain. Yeah, you do. I and believe sort of, it is It's that. like the memory of when something's successful and big. Uh, you kind of forget. You, know, you forget the trauma. Yeah. You know. I always say. Um, I just said to Giles, who's usually on the podcast here, but he's off shooting a movie. And I texted him last night and said, "The rushes are everything." You know, you know, um, that's the only thing that remains after the shoot. So rustle some feathers, do what you need to do to get shot, because actually all that's forgotten in the end, but right. not forgotten in the edit suite. Um, and that's true. Said good advice. That's, that is good advice, because yeah. what happened there mm. in that in that rectangle is mm. the is is it. That's all that matters. Because I've and, had it on like, like I, I, I 
would quite like another take and I know it'll probably annoy some people or maybe pushes just into lunch right, but yeah, yeah. it'll always bug me and I've had yeah. times where I haven't done that and it's always bugged me and times yeah. I've done that and gone oh yeah I forgot like I ran, ran into lunch <laughs> so uh, yeah I thought that's the problem with um with directing is you you got to go round up so much money to do it and work anything out to work anything out costs mm -hmm. millions of dollars mm -hmm. of somebody else's money mm -hmm. you know but commercials or um you know tiny little shorts or things you, you know things you do you get to experiment with commercials especially because you can find out about different equipment you're mm -hmm. always been curious about i don't i haven't done them but my mm -hmm. friends who have i'm always jealous because you know, they say, "Oh, you got to use the blah blah blah." That's yeah, I used it. I'm like, I'm like, what the hell is that? Yeah. How did you know about that? It's I true. didn't. My it is, yeah, it's me. a great way, isn't it, to just to. I mean, I think the business of filmmaking. You spend so much time trying to get a film made. Yeah. That actually uh, making the commercials is quite a nice way to keep that other side sharp. You know, the yeah. on-set side and the kit and the, the, all that sort of stuff. It's well, they also happen it's quickly, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Very short projects yeah. in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. You right. Work on something for like a decade yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. writing stuff and then uh, which is which is hilarious uh, because you think about the time spent on set shooting that scene or that moment versus the, yeah. the thought that's gone into it like on the page and also directorially in terms of how to shoot it and the actors and the casting and to get to that moment is the percentage is like tiny 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 and then you, tiny, and then you do a few takes and it's gone yeah, yeah. that was it yeah, all the right thinking, writing, prepping, talking, blot talking. Yes. Yeah, and then, yeah. <laughs> and then it's over, and that yeah. hope and you, you got and it. You didn't even get it the right way either. You're yeah. like, I think that's kind of it. Oh, anyway, we've got to move yeah. on. So we'll move on. I do like I do like making them up though, which is one of the reasons I enjoyed writing a book so much. And you knew I was going to plug my book, Cold Storage, available now. Oh no, we're, we're, we're about uh, to get we're, you. We're we're that. Got that. But, good. but yeah. it writing a book was purely the making up the story part. Yes. Yeah. But before we get to that, I have there was so. If I complain so much about directing movies, which is a great gift, why don't I stop? I Someone wrote something nasty about me on social media the, the other day. Part of the course. How dare you? Everybody Isn't is, that weird? But what I love about it is they said, um, why don't you quit? Why do you keep doing this? Why don't you stop? And, you know, mean things. And then they wrote, there are literally thousands of people less talented than you who would love a chance to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, well... Well, Isn't that an argument for me to keep blocking yeah. them from doing it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also, aren't there more than thousands of people less talented? <laughs> this is insulting. <laughs> How many people have, have, have uh, dished you online, but then said, "Can you be my screenplay?" Or you know, yeah, they, it's, it's, no, you no. generally I find it. Constant... I try to stay away from it. It's, sure, yeah. It's pretty. Uh, You've got a barrier, haven't you? Yeah. Mm. So let's move on to Cold Storage, which is yeah, your new book. Please so, let's. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so you um, you talked a bit about. Uh, on other podcasts and, and around the stuff about how the process of you know writing books differ, differs from uh, writing the screenplay and you can do all these new and interesting things that you couldn't previously do maybe when you're writing a screenplay. That was the big revelation to me and you'd think I would have known it. I'm, I mean, I'm 56 years old and, and, but I, and I've written my entire adult life and much of my childhood. But until I was actually writing in prose, I didn't fully realize how beautiful it is to be able to go inside a character's mind and to be able to editorialize at will. You know, screenplays are all about concision and what can we do? You know, it's, they're about what characters say and do. And that's it. And if you want to express someone's inner longing, you better have them stare 
you know, at a bowl of soup because, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the famous uh, Russian editing experiment. Um, oh, yeah. And I have to say, Amazing. you make use of that power quite liberally in the book. Well, like, I was drunk with it. <laughs> <laughs> to, to the point where you're following, you know, inanimate objects, where you're following, you know, the, the, the you know, the actual fungus itself. Like I love that I view. could go into the, the point of view of a fungus and into its... Because there was a, it was a delightful character. It was the villain of the piece. Mm. And there are certainly a couple of humans who, who behave badly and, and hopefully get what's coming to them. But the, um, the, the fungus was the real villain. It was the monster. And you have to know what a monster wants. Um, and in this case, the monster wants to spread. That's it. And it's such a simple objective. And characters with simple objectives are really easy to write. So then I could get into the the specifics of how it does that in a pretty detailed and, and, and uh, you know, biologically uh, accurate-ish way. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's a really fun, I have to say, it's a really fun personification of that, of something so kind of cold and abstract where it'd be quite easy to get kind of bogged down in that stuff, but you managed to also make it entertaining somehow with this kind of <laughs> Machiavellian streak of this kind of purely yeah. uh, ominous force. But um, you mentioned the research. That was obviously a big part of um, writing this book. So what? how did you, I'm curious, is how, did, how did you manage that? How I, did you decide? I wanted the first draft of the book, I wanted to, the characters and, I wanted the characters to be able to dictate the story. And I wanted characters and story to be far more important than scientific accuracy. So I wrote a first draft based on, only based on things I could research myself. I didn't want to go talk to somebody first because when you do that really influences your thinking and you impose, you self-censor and impose limitations based on what they say is true or possible. And I didn't want any of those limitations. I wanted to write something that I thought was really fun and, 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 and true to its characters who were the most important part of it for me. So I did, I, I wrote that draft based on things I could find out from, you know, books, magazine articles, the internet. And um, and then I uh, found a microbiologist, uh, a guy named Dr. Andre Constantinescu, and said, please read this, have a good hearty laugh, and, <laughs> and, and if you're still talking to me, help me figure out how to make it, nudge it toward plausibility. Um, so he read it, and he called and said what I thought was a great compliment. He said, well, the science isn't terrible. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but he had some major quibbles. The number one was that I was confusing a benzene and a fungus, and I must vow never to do that again. <laughs> Rookie uh, error. I know. It's, yeah. Well, yeah. once you learn about it, it's kind of embarrassing <laughs> that, that, that I let that happen. Um, and and then you know he just went through in a very detailed way and said, never this, never that, uh, possibly this. What if it was this instead? And was enormously helpful. And, um, you know, so I, uh, I, I moved it. I wanted to move it closer to the point where if someone had a biology degree and they were a critic, they wouldn't, you know, go to town on it. And so far that has not happened. So. Mm. And um, obviously, because this is your first novel. So did you find it? hard to get into that zone when you're so used to writing screenplays you know in terms of or was it just so liberating that you just sort of set yourself free well that was that was the thing you know like it i found that it's it's self-structured as it went along um i i think i truly finished the outline and about a week before i finished writing the script 
Um, I mean, <laughs> book. Uh, <laughs> Freudian slip. 30 years is hard to break. You know. um, so, to be fair, you're adapting it into a screenplay. I am, so as, then, we, as yeah, we speak. And are uh, you now um, hating the novelist side of you to go, why have I written all these yeah, characters? Yeah, there's these a bunch of stuff that only takes place in people's heads, and yeah. it's the point of view of a fungus, and how am I supposed to get that <laughs> yeah. out of screen? Why do we want to find out about the Christ guy's backstory at McDonald's? Yeah. It's exactly. Character. Why? It's nothing to do with it. But screenplays are that they're they're concision how can we do this with an image instead of words how can there be less 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 um and i so what i found is i i wanted to start writing i just started writing with no outline then that'll work for 10 pages and then you start to think oh dear mm. um so and then i started outlining and and i would write an outline and write an outline i had a whole outline before too long and before i got past say page you know 50 but it wasn't it wasn't the 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 outline of the book when mm. it was done that 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 got revised constantly as i went and that in a movie boy we, you just work out everything first because setups are so important and there's so little real estate you can't waste a moment yes unless you're tarantino who can digress for 20 minutes mm. and nobody cares but that's that's unusual david firstly what's next and secondly, where can we find, well, where can we follow you and where can we find more of your work? I think we don't need to ask that question because we know we can find David's work. So that's what you're <laughs> I think David's just written <laughs> every movie I've seen. <laughs> yeah. And I can't yeah, remember okay. if he has the top 10 movies in the last few decades. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. I'm, um, what am I working on? I'm finishing up a movie I directed called You Should Have Left mm -hmm. uh, with Kevin Bacon, Amanda Seyfried, and uh, a d terrific young seven year old actress, uh, Avery Essex. It's her first film. And. Uh, it's uh, for Blumhouse, so it's coming out next year. Not okay. sure exactly where and when, but um, at some point early in the year. Um, that's been a lot of fun. And I'm writing the screenplay for Cold Storage, and um, which we hope to be shooting next year at okay. some point. And would, uh, would you direct that, or is that somebody else? No, I... No. I've, <laughs> after, the way I've, right? <laughs> after the way I've complained about directing, I, 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 that, that would take a lot of a, a distinct lack of self-awareness. Um, I think writing a novel and then writing the screenplay for it is just enough creative involvement. Yeah. Thank you. And it could use a fresh viewpoint. So you'd yeah. happily get another writer. I'd be take delight. Them. Another writer? No. Yeah. Fuck no. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but what if that director said, uh, David, director. I need some fresh eyes on this. I need yeah, to, yeah. Uh, you know. Well, I'm also the producer. So this is going to have our time. Yeah, there's a tool. You gotta okay. And where can people follow you online? Uh, I'm on uh, my infant Instagram account is uh, DGCAP. So D-G-K-O-E-P-P. -P, and I, uh, it's been fun so far. I resisted it for a very long time. Um, and, um, but it's been, it's been a good time so far. So great good stuff. David, yeah. thank you Thanks so much for your time. time. Thank you so much, uh, My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Nice That's to meet you. Awesome. Yeah. Great to meet you. What about like, your day? So definitely check out Cold Storage. Uh, it's awesome. And, and available you know, now? Yeah, in available all now. digital bookstores? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a really good read. As eagerly uh, listeners may have noticed, it was mostly Robbie talking about the book because <laughs> Phil and I had not read the book. We didn't do our homework, as usual, naughty. or me. Naughty, naughty. But, um, but no, um, I have read the synopsis. 
it sounds bloody brilliant mm. uh, and it's a bit more um, I think it's uh, as we said it's a, it's a slight sort of return well not return sorry but it's got a Crichton vibe to it using it's definitely Australia. yeah and I noticed in the sleeve um, that Brian De Palma gave notes yeah uh, you're saying it. It. So it, and it has that sort of De Palma almost like B-movie-ish vibe but like you know done really really well um, yeah. with amazing characters I meant to ask him actually when we chatted who was directing but again the problem I think we all had is someone like David has got the, the, such a broad filmography mm. when we were, we only had him for an hour max how, how big is his filmography out of interest I mean, oh, it, yeah. is, well, it is massive well, I don't think you could do I mean, it in one breath no I don't I think that's possible what no. I can do it in one um, breath no, he's no. only what he's done like go five on then, movies Phil. go on, go on. alright look it up on IMDB come on let's go let's do this uh, Phil thinks it. he can so are these screenwriter credits we're going for yeah. not direction I don't yeah. I'm going to read them out. So, yeah, not directors, but which is probably, his, I think he wrote the screenplays and he directed it. So, how many screenplays uh, has David written, Phil? One breath, ready? Hold on a sec. A few. <laughs> right, three, two, one, deep breath. In one breath. Apartment Zero, Why Me, Dark Angel, Bad Influence, Toy Story, Death Becomes Her, Jurassic Park, Cleet Away, The Paper, The Shadow, Suspicious, Mission Impossible, The Trigger Threat, Lost World, Jurassic Park, Snake Eyes, Stoke of Echoes, Panic Room, Spider Man, Secret Window, War of the Worlds, of Thor, Lego, Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones, The Crystal Still, Ghost Town, Angels and Demons, Premium Rush, Jack Ryan, Shadow Crew, Inferno, The Mummy! Okay, good. Nice you work. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I actually thought I was going to be holding I think you had a little bit left in the tank there as well yeah. at the end of that. Well, then we could have gone on upcoming projects What's and cold yeah. storage. Um, but yeah, an <coughs> a, 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 a absolutely legendary screenwriter who was responsible for, I think, over $2 billion worth of box office. Well, uh, that was slightly easier than I thought. <laughs> but a lot of movies, and uh, I defy anyone to say they haven't seen at least five of the things he'd written, responsible for over two billion dollars worth of box office which is an amazing feat and what a lovely man isn't it amazing actually that he's got such a uh his filmography is so rich that we didn't even touch on Spider-Man. He wrote the first Spider-Man. We didn't get a chance. Mm. It's just, and I was always conscious when we were chatting, like, oh, I'm going to talk about this. And we that, got closer when we were talking about pitching, but yeah. Yes. Yeah. But that's, the other thing is I did want to know, I mean, I'm sh in other places I've read interviews and, podca and mm -hmm. podcasts, and I think that stuff is fairly well documented, but I did want to know about how, yeah, what's it like going in the room pitching your story? And he seems to be very late. So I want to know more about the person uh, and, and his technique, I suppose. But uh, he seems to be very giving right so phil you reckon you can uh do the outro by heart <laughs> this is the less the one i'm less confident in. cj because... you reckon uh, uh you stand your chances I, i've got absolutely no i mean i've sat next to giles he's done both the intro and the outro hundreds well, not hundreds, I know certainly, the intro. You know, maybe i'm more alert at the start of yeah. the end <laughs> you've turned off <laughs> like right, everyone else does for this bit yeah um i know there's something about an elevator, elevator back down <laughs> yeah. um, um being prepared is everything you can make your indie film but know who your audience is and get out there and do it and remember if you're lucky enough to do well and rise up it's your duty, it's your duty. to send yeah. that yeah. Elevator, elevator back yeah. down, down. Great. Where can we follow you on Twitter, on Instagram, and uh, in the street? Uh, Phil's looking at me, viewers. <laughs> um, at C James Direct is where you can follow me, uh, and uh, that's yeah, that's that's where I'll be. Uh, I'm at Phil M Blog, and and uh, also where, what about the uh, Stars Origins? Uh, Stars Origins Fanfilm.com. See the teaser trailer there, which is imminent. And when might we actually better see that? So the film's going to come out a week before the next Star Wars film. Um, there's a new, there's a new Star Wars film coming yeah, out. Yeah, there's one coming out, but you right. know it's but fine. Your but one we're going to help publicize yeah, yeah. that. You know, you're going to steal yeah. some of its thunder by a week early. Yes, yeah, Genius. yeah. People are going to be still <laughs> thinking about my film when that little one comes out. Um, so you seven. can check that out, or you can go to my YouTube channel, uh, YouTube.com/slash Phil M Blog and I've got a whole sort of behind the scenes documentary 
documentary on how I'm making that film. Yeah, it's really good. I highly recommend checking that out. Thank you, you Robbie. Can... You have to say that. And you, Robbie. Yeah. I know, but you know, I paid him. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> Come on, Robbie, where can we follow you? You can follow me on Twitter at Robbie McCain. And obviously at the Filmmakers Pod. And if you've enjoyed this, please do like and share it and tell your friends. Tell your friends, subscribe, subscribe, and do leave a review on iTunes because that always helps. Yes. Till next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.